podcast where we talk about women from mythology and folklore all over the world. We're your hosts. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Zoe. Lizzie, what have you been up to recently? Um, not too much. Let's see. The Netherlands kind of eased up on lockdown restrictions, which I don't know how I feel about that, but whatever. Not that I've been doing anything. I've still been staying at my house. Um, it doesn't really make a difference to my life, but yeah, that's what's been going on for me. What have you been up to? Um, me? Yeah. Ugh. Having a mental breakdown. No, I'm just joking. But am I? Uh-huh. Anyways. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, I've been working in the library once again. Not doing much, though. I've started cross-stitching. Very exciting. And Ooh, classes start on Monday. Um, and they're fully virtual for the first week, which I'm not looking forward to, especially because I have a roommate. And that'll be interesting. Oh, but... yeah, that's really annoying. Hopefully it'll just be for a week. So it'll be really, it's actually, I mean, it's kind of worse for my roommate though, because I'm the one with the language classes. So she's just going to be there like listening to her like, <laughs> lectures on art. Yeah. On art history. And I'm going to be there. And my, my Russian professor is going to be like, yeah. And I'm going to be like, Strasvoitz. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So rip to my roommate. I'm sorry. Anyways. Hopefully it's only for a week because this is really not sustainable. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, wait. Shoot. Redact- redacted to- University. <laughs> redacted University. Anyways. Anyways. Things are going great. Wonderful. Also, if you would like to support the show, you can by sending us a one-time or recurring donation at the Kofi link in the episode description. It would be a huge help. It helps us with things like paying for microphones and other equipment and also just showing us that people like our show and want to see more of it, which is really important and great. And you will be able to see bonus content in the future. Yes. The near future. We are making, we are working on bonus content. I'm working so hard on bonus content (laughs) right now. Yes. Actually. And also, I feel like we should mention that our website has stuff. Like, if you go to our website, you can find all of our sources and you can find transcripts for the episodes if that's something that you need. So, yeah, go check out our website, mythaladies.com. If you want to know more about the information that we got, where we got it from, and also if you want to read along while we while you listen. We work very hard on those transcripts, so people should look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're very time-consuming. Yeah. Anyways, Lizzie, who are you talking about? So, today we're talking about Money Makele from... Yay. The prot- do you know who that is already by me saying that? I remember her. I remember her. Yeah, so yeah. she's the protagonist of the Tamil epic of the same name. So, mm-hmm. Mani Mekele is one of the five great epics of Tamil literature. It builds on the characters of Silapatikaram, which, which we talked about in episode 17. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have listened to the Kaneki episode to listen to this episode, but it would help you should. to understand the context. And also, it's just a fun epic, so you should listen to it anyway. So... It's a really fun episode. If you don't know, Zoe, what happened in the Silly Patikaram and who is Kaneki? Oh, man. 
Okay, well, so I can't remember everything, but I remember Kaneki was in love with this guy, and then he got, like, seduced by this other woman. Well, they were married. Yeah, they were married, but then he got seduced by this other woman. Matafi. Yeah, and then somehow they came to this other city, and he was accused of this crime Mm -hmm. and sentenced to death and killed, and she was really angry, and did she tear out of her breast yeah she teared up her breast and she threw it into the crowd she, and then the city caught and on she fire. cursed the city and the caught on fire but also she like proved that he didn't commit the crime with yeah. the anklet right yeah yeah it made everyone feel like terrible people and it was really great um it was really epic yeah yeah no, sorry so it's cool. been like over a year but it was oh, it was a crazy. good story yeah it's great yeah. and so um has it been over a year i don't know um, I mean, I can check, but I'm pretty sure. I anyway. mean, it's been like a year either way. What do you remember what happened to Matavi? No, I don't remember. She became a Buddhist nun. Oh, good for her. And who was Mani Makele? Do you remember? She was a daughter of someone. Yeah, she's the daughter was of Matavi daughter? and Kovalin. Right, the guy. And Kovalin, Kovalin. is the husband of Kaneki, who had an affair yeah. with Matavi producing Mani Makele, their daughter. So. Yeah. And then this epic builds on the story of Mani Megale, the daughter of Matavi, after the events of Silipathigaram. So, okay. little is known about the author of Mani Megale. The purpose of the text states that it was written by Katan, the wealthy grain merchant. Mm. It's thought to have been composed somewhere between 100 and 800 CE. Like the Silipathigaram, it's not known when it was written. It would have to have been after the Silipathigaram obviously, but probably not very long after because it might have, it's possible that the two authors were contemporaries. It's not known for sure, but, um... But people think it wasn't the same author? Yeah, no, it was the... I think it was different people. It's certain that they're different authors. Interesting, okay. But beyond that, there's not tons of, like, things that are known for certain. Mm -hmm. So the Money Make Lay consists of 4,861 lines arranged in 30 cantos. Wow. So, shall we get into the story? Please do. It's rather long. It is an epic, mm-hmm. so... Yes. Okay. Sitrapati, who was the mother of Matavi and the grandmother of Mani Mekele, was upset that her daughter and granddaughter were absent from the festivities of the Festival of Indra. Mm. So, she went to Matavi's friend, Vasanta Malay, and implored her to talk to Matavi. But Matavi was resolute in her choice to become a nun. Hmm. Yeah, so their friends, family, and people in their community were all upset at Matavi's choice to enter herself and her daughter into a monastery. They were both beautiful and talented, not just as dancers, but they could play multiple instruments, they knew how to cook and apply makeup, decorate, write beautifully, read, act, paint, make beadwork and flower garlands, all of the arts and skills Curtisan should know. Wow. But both Matavi and Manimekele were chilled by what happened to, to Kovalin and Kaneki. They admired Kaneki and her virtues and faithfulness and wished to enter a life of asceticism rather than the hedonistic lives of Curtisans. So... Meanwhile, there is this Sola prince called Udayakumara, and he goes to, well, he goes and meets Manimekele, and he's in love with her, and she hides from him in the garden pavilion, and he wants her to leave the monastic life so she can be with him, and then Manimekele's friend, Sutamati, intervened and told him that Manimekele was devoted to being a nun and wasn't interested in him. So, Prince Udayakumara left... But he he doesn't want to give up his plan to pursue Manimekele. He just says that he's going to go through to Manimekele's grandmother. Since Sutamati was of no help. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's not the best. No. After he left, Manimekele confided in Sutamati that in spite of herself, she did feel attraction to the prince. Hmm. 
Yeah. So, yeah, she was resisting it, obviously, but she does feel conflicted. At that moment, the ocean goddess, Manimekala, appeared to them. Oh. Yeah. She told Manimekala that she needed to go to the Temple of Heaven to flee from her desires. Manimekala cast a spell that put both girls to sleep them transported Manimekale to the island of Manipalavam. The goddess then visited Prince Udaya Kumara and told him to forget about Manimekale and then visited Sutamati to assure her that Manimekale is safe on the island and told her to relay the message to Matavi. And then she disappeared. And Sutamati walked around the city and a statue began to speak to her. And it told her that Manimekale would return in one week with complete knowledge of her past lives and Sutamati's. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so then Mani Mekele woke up on the island, confused. She had no idea why she was there. She thought she was left there to die. But then she came across a pedestal shining with jewels, and she walked around it three times and prostrated. When she lifted her head, she had memories of her past lives. Oh. Mani Mekele visited again and told her that in her previous life, where she was known as Lakshmi, she had a husband oh. named... Yeah. I don't think she was the... I mean, it's not like super clear. I don't think she was the goddess Lakshmi. I think her name was just Lakshmi. Okay, so but she also, probably was just a woman named after that. I guess so, but also there's another point where her beauty is compared to Lakshmi's beauty, but that, I don't know. Anyway. Well, it feels, like, clear that she's associated with the goddess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's not really, like, explained later, but anyway. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, when she was known as Lakshmi, she had a husband named Rahul. One day, Lakshmi and Rahul were together in their garden when a Buddhist monk came to them in search of food. Rahul was rude to the monk, and Lakshmi chastised him, then apologized mm. to the holy man and offered him food and water. Good. Yeah, she was like, why are you, like, being rude to a holy man? Like, that's just stupid, you know? But then, mm-hmm. um, in the present day, Rahul was reincarnated into Prince Uday Kumara, mm. which explains why Manamegale feels connected to him. They were married in their past lives, multiple past lives, and it also explains why Prince Udaya Kumara is destined to suffer from his desire for her. He has bad karma from being mean to a holy man. While Manimekale has good karma and she gets to be a Buddhist nun. Okay, so she should be a Buddhist nun then. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. like, so much of this is like everyone being like, don't be a Buddhist nun. We don't Exa- want you to be yeah, a Buddhist Yeah, no, exactly. Because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. you're destined to be a courtesan. But then at the same time, she's actually destined to like be a Buddhist nun. But yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah, anyway, so <laughs> she also had two sisters in her previous lifetime who were called Tara and Vera, who were reincarnated into Matavi and Sutamati, her mother and friend. Huh, wow. Yeah, which is kind of nice. So Mani Mekala then taught her how to overcome suffering and hunger in order to live an ascetic life, then disappeared again. After that, Mani Mekala meets another goddess called Tibatileche, who told her about a magic bull. It's called Amrita Surabi, which translates to cow of abundance. And the bowl is magic because it always replenishes food, so the user would never go hungry. Great. Yeah, very handy thing to have. Mm-hmm. And she told her how to get the magic bowl from a nearby lake, which Money Makely did. And then she told her how to find Aravana Adigal, who was a Buddhist teacher. So now she has the bowl, and she has knowledge of all her past lives, and she leaves the island, and she manages to find Aravana Adigal, the Buddhist teacher, and she tells him her story, and he tells her a story about a man called Aputra. So, Aputra was abandoned at birth and nurtured by cows until a Brahmin came along and adopted him, teaching him the Vedas as he grew up. One day, he saw a cow about to be slaughtered, so he freed her and hid her. He was then labeled Mm. a cow thief, 
and everyone hated him. They threw rocks in his beggar bowl. <laughs> no. I'm sorry. That's not I know funny. it's so mean, but it's kind of a, a very specific it's detail. Like, oh, and everyone hated him and they <laughs> threw, threw rocks, rocks at him. <laughs> and even his adopted parents kicked him out. Wow. It's, I know. It's kind of intense. So, with no other options, he left for the city of Madurai. In Madurai, he took to begging and distributed what he was given among the sick and poor of the city, keeping whatever remained for himself. Mm. He lived this way for many years before the goddess Sarasvati appeared to him and offered him the magic bowl that is currently in the hands of Mani Mekele. Well, where did he go? Oh, I see. Oh, wait. This is is in the past. Right. So I guess he just died? (laughs) Yeah, well, well, I'm getting to that. Um, Oh. So from that day forward, he saved thousands of lives. And the god Indra appeared to him one day to reward him. But Aputra mocked him, saying he didn't need a reward. His only desire was to... Oh, so it was like he mocked him, but he was saying he didn't want a reward because he was he he felt like he was doing good. See, it says that he mocked him, but all he really said was that his only desire was to distribute food to the people, and he was rewarded by their joy. Okay. So I don't know if he was actually very mocking or if he just said that, and then Indra felt insulted. But he did. He felt insulted, and so he decided to free the world from hunger. So that Aputra and his magic bowl would be worthless. Wow. And he ended Great the, work. He ended the drought and the harvests were bountiful and people no longer suffered from starvation. Wow. That really, sh- that really showed <laughs> yeah. him. I know. Great prank. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but, but honestly, Aputra did feel useless now that he couldn't help people with his magic bowl. And he wandered from village to village trying to find starving people he could help, but he was always turned away. Um. So he decided to go to the island of Java because there was a ship departing and he was told there was a drought there. Mm. However, during that journey, there was a storm and the ship settled at the island of Manipalavam for the night. And then the, the ship sailed away without him, basically. Not like not on purpose, mm. but they thought they wow. had all the passengers and he was just stuck on the island by himself. So now he's stranded on the island and he has nobody to feed with his magic bowl other than himself. Because he's completely alone. So wow. he threw the magic bowl into the lake and allowed himself to die of hunger. Oh, wow. That's really sad. Wow. It is. It's. I do think this is kind of interesting of, like, wanting to do good for the sake of, like, doing good. But, like, you think he would be happy that people aren't starving. But he's not needed. But he's actually yeah. sad about it because now he can't help people. Yeah. It's really interesting to me because he's like, I need to be needed. Yeah. And yeah. if I'm not needed, then I... I'm miserable. I mean, like, it's kind well, of can fair. Can you not like, just if... be happy that people aren't dying of starvation? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I take mean, up, it's like, interesting. a trade. <laughs> I know. I mean, because, like, on the one hand, you do kind of understand it. Like, if, if you're, like, needed by people and suddenly you're just not anymore, you would probably feel really mm-hmm. dejected. But also, like, yeah. it's a good thing that world hunger was momentarily solved. <laughs> like, Yeah, like, I support that. Like, and sorry. like re- reverse psychology, he you could never like solve world hunger, and he does, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. kind of great for the people, but not great for Aputra because yeah. now he just feels dejected and lonely, and he wants like... to help people, but he can't because he's stuck mm-hmm. on an island and he has no purpose anymore. So well, he... I understand like wanting to die if you're stuck on an island by yourself. Like, yeah, I feel like that's a logical <laughs> turn of events to me. Like that sounds pretty miserable. Yeah, but before all that, I feel like he was being. I don't know. It's just a little silly to be like, just... oh, I don't want. <laughs> it was like, oh, but ev- everyone's not starving anymore. But that means they don't need me anymore, and I'm sad about that. And it's it like, also oh, makes you I wonder, can't... like, if Indra could have 
solved world hunger before why didn't he until now there's just a lot of questions in the story it's really interesting i think it's really fun anyway so now aputra has died okay and then yeah so arvana aligal tells the story to money and he tells her that there is a drought again and she should use the bowl to feed the hungry just as aputra had so, along with Matavi and Sutamati, she began to do so. She also started a hospice. And um, Sitrapati, her grandmother, heard about Mani Megale, what she was doing, and she was really scandalized by the idea of Mani Megale walking around like a beggar. Hmm. So, she went to see Prince Uday Kumara and told him where to find Mani Megale and implored him to go and pursue her again. Interesting. Yeah. So Prince Udayakumara came to Manimekele's hospice to find her. He confronted her, but she told him she was committed to a life of asceticism and ending others' suffering. She then left him and used her new powers of transformation to disguise herself as a woman called Kayasantike. And... I miss the new powers of transformation. Yeah, no, yeah, she has the powers of transformation... Um, I didn't mention it before, but now it's relevant to the story, and she will also use it again <laughs> at another point. But she, she transforms into this lady who she met, who I will talk more about later. So, still in disguise as Kaya Santike, Manimekele went to the local prison and asked the king to abolish the prison and turn it into a monastery, which he did. Oh, so true. I know, and then it says like a detail of like, and then there was no more crime. <laughs> so Exactly. There was no more criminals. Just Great. monks. <laughs> when Prince Uday Kumara heard about all this, he realized that it was Mani Mekele's doing. So meanwhile, Kayasandike's actual husband, Kansana, went looking for her. He found Mani Mekele disguised as his wife and became confused when she seemed indifferent to him. He was further confused when Prince Uday Kumara began talking to her with obvious passion and interest and deduced that his wife was cheating on him. Not again. I know. <laughs> So he struck Prince Uday Kumara with his sword, killing him. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, so now Prince oh, no. Uday Kumara is just dead. Yeah. Wow. Um Gosh. but then he did have a bad light. He did have, <laughs> I know. Did have bad karma. An unhappy li- yeah. Um and so then Kansana was informed that the woman he thought was his wife was actually money make lay in disguise, and he understood his mistake and then he ran away. Mm. We don't know what happens to him next. But after that, Mani Mekele resumed her original appearance and mourned the prince as they had been married in their past lives. Mm-hmm. When the king was told what happened to his son, he wasn't upset at Kansana for killing his son. He even said that Kansana deserved his gratitude because Prince Uday Kumara had been a threat to women's virtues and now the king wouldn't have to punish himself, his son himself for his misconduct. Wow. So, <laughs> I know, sucks to be Prince of Kamara. But, however, yeah, the king he's just did... getting destroyed. I know, everyone hates him. <laughs> anyway, but the king did call for Money Makele's arrest. Mm. Why? I mean, I don't fully understand the logic. You have to blame the woman. But I guess, well, the reasoning was because she had deceived people. That's what caused the whole thing. But also, if you aren't mad about the murder, then why would you be mad about the thing that caused the murder? Although she didn't really do anything. She was just standing there. Anyway, mm-hmm. if anything's his own fault, because she disguised herself to get rid of him, mm-hmm. you really can't blame her in all of this. Lizzie sips tea. <laughs> okay, so when the queen learned about what happened, she wished to avenge her son's death. She asked the king to release Money Makele from prison and let her into her care. Her first plan was to try to drive Money Makele mad by giving her drafts that disturb the mind. But she was already enlightened, so it didn't work. Wow. 
<laughs> Next, the queen paid a young man to sexually harass her to ruin her virtue. Oh, well, that's pretty awful. Yeah, um, but when the young man approached her, Money Makele transformed into a boy, and the young man got confused and ran away. Oh. I just find that a very funny detail. Um, no, it's a wonderful detail. <laughs> yeah, so and then the young man is like, oh, this is a boy, and he runs away. I just think it's funny. Anyway, yeah. so that didn't work. And her next plan was that she locked Money Makele away in a tower and told people that she had an illness and refused to eat. But Money Makele knew a way to suppress hunger, so she was fine. Wow. Yeah. You can't kill her. Yeah. So the queen became afraid, and she threw herself at Money Makele's feet and asked forgiveness, which Money Makele gave to her, and she also taught the queen about the ways of Buddhism. And like... She's so powerful. I know. <laughs> So the queen turns to Buddhism. Um, she's very changed by this encounter. Great. Wonderful. Okay, so next, Manimekele sets off to find Aputra. She discovers that Aputra was reincarnated into the king of the city of Nakapuram, whose name is Punya Rajan. And so she meets him. She told, tells him that he should return to the island of Manipalavam and then left for the island herself. When Punya Rajan joins her, he is also gifted with memories of his past lives and... He says that he wishes to devote the rest of his life to practicing Buddhism. But mm. this time, Mani Mikuli tells him that his kingdom is suffering without him and he should remain on the throne. Mm. Which I think is interesting. Because like the like ascetic monastic life isn't necessarily the thing that everybody has to do, I feel like, is what is being told here. Because like she's like, well, your kingdom needs you. So that's actually the better place for you to be, the grand scheme of things. It's interesting because like it's clear this is very much a text in favor of Buddhism in a lot of ways. Very much so. But also it's sort of got that like, like sort of casteist idea that everyone has their place and their like proper role to fulfill. Yeah, fair. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it like that. But then it's also like, the one that you think other people are supposed to fulfill isn't necessarily the one that they are meant to fulfill. Like, everyone thought that Money Makele was supposed to, like... Be a dancer. Be a dancer or whatever. And then it turned out, no, she was meant to be the be this really epic Buddhist nun Yeah. instead. But, I don't know, it's still sort of like, you know, everyone's destined for these specific roles as opposed to, like... Yeah, no. Destiny is definitely a very big thing, both in Silipatakaram and in this. Although I think it's a little bit different. Mm -hmm which I'll discuss in a bit. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, the rest of the text is just dedicated to talking about Buddhism. Mani um, Mikale studies Buddhist doctrines some more. It go like goes into detail in like a scholarly, informational way. And then eventually Mani Mikale mm -hmm. attains nirvana. The end. Oh, good for her. Happy yeah, for her. I know. Great. She's like so young in this, by the way. She's like 12 years old-ish. Wait, what? She's like, that's, that's, they keep talking about how she's like just going into puberty, you know, which is that's actually crazy. But they also talk about how beautiful she is and stuff. It's a little weird. But anyway, um, different times. Yeah. 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 So that was Money Makele. What'd you think? I mean, I think that's a crazy story. I think that Isn't it? it's it's just, yeah. I mean, it's got like, I mean, she, like I said, she's so powerful. Like she can do anything. And I, I think know. that's just really fun because we don't really get a lot of stories about like female characters like that who are basically indestructible. Yeah, that's, that's so true, actually. She is basically indestructible. And so I think that's really, that's just really fun to hear about, like, everyone's, people are trying to unseat her or ruin her, and she's just like, nope, nope, nope. 
I can fight them all off. Like I can, I'm like a genius. Yeah, it was pretty like kind of fairy tale esque in the way that yeah, the queen kept trying to like kill her, like destroy her reputation, and it just kept not working. Um, I was also thinking about how yeah. that occurred in like groups of three, which is a really common thing in like fairy tales and in myths too. I guess mm-hmm. it was just a really fun yeah. little little um yeah. sojourn little that little part. Yeah. yeah, she's just being tortured by a queen. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a really interesting story, and I think it's really fun. I think it's cool that out of the five great Tamil epics, three of them are about women. The other one is Kundala Casey, which I have. Yeah, that's really crazy. Red, but yeah, like, isn't that cool? I think it's cool. That's really awesome. Yeah, and I think that this is a really great story because, you know, the hero of the religion or whatever being a woman is, I mean, I don't know, like, obviously, I was raised Catholic, and so the hero of the religion is, like, gen- is never a woman, but, like, I just think it's really cool to have her be, you know, a woman being, like, the one who's spreading the news of Buddhism and teaching everyone about Buddhism and stuff, and, like, that's really interesting. I agree. I think it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, in, like, most Christian stories, it's the man who's doing that, but, like, in this story, it's like, no, it's, like, you know, women yeah can do that too yeah i will say that it's not exactly devoid of any misogyny like it's very like women have to retain their virtues and they have to remain virgins I mean, yeah. or else it's the worst thing ever you know but that's just how yeah. it's gonna be this was written like 1500 years ago mm-hmm. and i think it's cool but it's from the perspective of a woman like mm-hmm. you get <laughs> characters where the whole thing is about like oh they have to be chased or else but you get it from her perspective, and that's just cool. Mm-hmm. And the man who's trying to pursue her is, like, the villain. Yeah, and then he just, like, dies. Yeah, and then he just dies. <laughs> Not that he doesn't amount to anything. His father isn't even sad about his death. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that this is a sort of, like, a sequel in a way. I mean, not really, because it's not a sequel, but it's taking this, some of the characters yeah. from the Silipatikaram and continuing some of their stories. And I just think it's really interesting because... I don't think we see it. I mean, I'm not like familiar of really any other epics, but like besides like, I guess the Iliad and the Odyssey, but I think it's generally considered written by the same person. I don't know, honestly. I don't know. I mean, a lot of ancient epics author is like unknown or like yeah, known almost nothing about them. Yeah. And it's interesting that two different people like wrote stories, like one story based on like character from another story. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And I don't know, like, I'm not sure if this is, like, proven, but I think I read in, like, multiple sources there was some sort of story about the guy who wrote the Salipatikaram going to the guy who wrote Mani Mekele and being like, continue my story with Mani Mekele. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happened. It might have. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. But do you have, like, notes on the how it sort of continues or changes, like, the themes of the Salipatikaram? Yes. Okay. Okay, so. Continue, please. Tell me. Okay, so the Silipatikaram was for the most part a Jain work that blended Jain, Buddhist, and Hindu values. Hmm. But my Mekele is definitely a Buddhist work, like thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Buddhist values pervade the text, sometimes at the expense of Jains who are ridiculed. In one instance, the mm. text refers to a filthy Jain monk acting foolishly. Oof. So yeah, that's not great. Um, but one interesting thing about the fact that this is a Buddhist epic is that it's a rare source into Buddhist life in Tamil Nadu before it died out in about the 11th century. Mm. And today in Tamil Nadu, only about 0.02% of the population are Buddhist. That's insane. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's pretty crazy. And there is yeah. evidence of several other Buddhist Tamil epics, but Mani Mekele is the only one that's really survived. Mm-hmm. So the text is integral in understanding Buddhist life in Tamil Nadu, like from the time it was written, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so 
Yeah, like we were saying, Money Makerly is a continuation of the story of the Um, It can be seen as a Buddhist reinterpretation of the themes of the Um, However, many of the themes of Money Makerly seem to be somewhat at odds with those of the Sipapatikaram. Mm-hmm. In the Sipapatikaram, people cannot escape what they've done in past lives and are ultimately at the mercy of karma. For example, when Kovalin realizes that his misbehavior is a result of the things he's done in his past lives, the burden of his guilt is lifted. It's like he doesn't have to worry about being responsible anymore because it's not his fault, you know? Mm. He can't help with he's acted. Huh. In Money Megale, people are not considered to be trapped in the net of bad karma, but they're taught that they should be karmically aware and learn to understand their relationships to other living beings. Mm-hmm. Karma is important in both epics. People learn about the things that happen in their lives are due to good or bad karma from their previous lives. But the lessons are different. Yeah. In Money Make Lay, people are punished by their bad karma, but still taught that they should take responsibility and improve their behavior. At the same time, there are critics who feel that Money Make Lay is weaker than the Silipatikaram, like literary-wise, like the prose oh. isn't as um, mm-hmm. good, but also the plot isn't as interesting, some people say. <laughs> it's a, I mean, it's, you know... But um, I mean, I feel like we can't know because we can't like read it in the original. Text. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've read them both, but not in Tamil, obviously. Yeah. But um, Money Makeley is imbued with supernatural elements from start to finish, and seems more interested in spreading, as Camille Zvelaville says, Buddhist propaganda. There are a lot of supernatural occurrences in Money Makeley, like talking statues telling characters information they wouldn't have learned otherwise deities mm-hmm. appearing out of nowhere, and the magical bull that's central to the story. Zilipatikaram does contain supernatural elements, but ultimately it's a story about love that becomes supernatural, whereas Manimekale is an anti-love story with supernatural elements throughout. Huh. Yeah, as Camille Zvelabil also said, Manimekale allows herself to be handled by supernatural agencies, whereas Kaneki, to control of her situation, used the spiritual forces to her advantage. And to quote from him, in Sulipatikaram, ethics and religion serve art, and money megale, the reverse is the case. Mm. So in that way, I do understand the view of, like, the Sulipatikaram as the overall better epic. But, mm-hmm. I mean, they're both nice. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that Kaneki and money megale are pretty different. Mm-hmm. Kaneki is amazing. I loved her story so much. I do kind of think that the Sulipatikaram is the better epic. But... Money Makeley is also a great character, and the story is pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Money Makeley is cool because she issues a life that was destined for her to dedicate her life to helping people. And she displays a lot of strength mm-hmm. of character, but in a more subtle way than Kaneki. Like, obviously, Kaneki's whole thing is that she's so virtuous that she'll just, mm-hmm. like, mutilate her body to, like, you know, prove her husband's innocence and stuff. Yeah. And also, Kaneki is mentioned from time to time throughout the text as an example of a strong and virtuous woman that Money Makele wants to emulate, but she just does it in a different mm-hmm. way. Yeah. So the two characters, they're different, but not necessarily at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Money Makele is without any real character flaws, but the way she lives her life is a continuation of and an homage to Kaneki's values. Mm-hmm. And like we said, it's pretty cool that they're, they both get to be the protagonists of these epics. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Feminism, etc. So I mentioned earlier that I was going to talk more about these two characters. 
Kayasandike and Kansana. So Kayasandike is the woman who Manimekale disguises herself as to escape the prince. Uh-huh. Her story in the epic is that she meets Manimekale about halfway through the text and tells her that she suffers from an affliction called elephant's appetite, where she is constantly hungry and can never be full no matter how much she eats. Hmm. Yeah, so Manimekale gives her rice from her magic bowl, which cures her. Oh, good. And then Kayasandike tells her her story. So she and her husband Kansana traveled to the kingdom of Pandya and were resting in the countryside when a sage came carrying a jambu rose apple fruit. She laid down on a teak leaf for a moment while he went to bathe. Kayasandike was walking around the area and accidentally crushed the fruit. Mm. The sage began to yell at her, saying that the jambu rose apple fruit only blooms once every 12 years, and whoever eats the fruit is freed from appetite for 12 years. He had intended to eat the fruit and be absolved of hunger, Mm -hmm. but Kayasandike ruined it. And as a punishment, he cursed her with the elephant's appetite for 12 years until he had another Mm -hmm. chance to eat the jambu rose apple. So after this, her husband Kansana tried to help her. He brought her plenty of food until it was clear that there was no curing her and they had to separate. Kayasandike journeyed to the city of Pukar, where her husband visited her once a year during the festival of Indra. And after Manimekale cured her, she headed off once again to find her husband. But meanwhile, her husband was on his way to Pukar to see her once again. And it's then that Kansana sees Prince Udayakumara, with Manimekale misunderstands and kills him. And he then learns that his wife died on her journey home. At which point he flees in misery and guilt and we don't hear from him again. Wow. I want to talk about the story. Firstly, I just think it's really interesting. I think it's one of the most interesting parts about the text. And secondly, I think it poses interesting questions within the context of the entire epic. I, I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was very little scholarship that I found that mentioned Kayasandike or her husband in any sort of detail. Mm-hmm. But I did find one article. Literary Theory and Buddhist Vision in Tamil Buddhist Literature by Annie Monius that talks about their significance. So Kayasandike's tragic story is the inevitable result of bad karma and causes both herself and her husband to suffer. Mm-hmm. Their story elicits pity, maybe even hopelessness, which is amplified by the fact that it inverts the grieving widow motif. Mm. It is Kansana, the husband, who suffers because of his wife's fate, who grieves for her, and who becomes jealous because of potential infidelity. Mm-hmm. His story is even more pitiable and sad as he finds himself in a role more often held by women rather than like such a strong man as himself. And even further, as Anne Monius points out, Kaya Santige and Kansana are the only couple in the epic who are not representative of quote, improper love. Matavi and Kobolin are ill-suited for each other, Manimekale is confused and sometimes frightened by Prince Udayakumara's advances, Mm -hmm. and there aren't really any other healthy love stories mentioned in text at all. But Kayasandike and Kansana display genuine care and love for each other, but their love is ultimately doomed. Their story is tragic and depressing, but how does it factor into the text themes as a whole? Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like the elephant's appetite is just like the absolute parallel to the the bowl that is always refilling itself. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, that's so true. It's completely the opposite thing. Or like complementary thing to it, you know? Yeah. I mean, hunger is a really strong motif in the whole epic. Mm-hmm. People suffering from hunger, people curing other people's hunger, like the whole bowl mm-hmm. thing. It's just a really strong... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like a huge example of suffering. Like if you're starving, there's not much else you can really do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense. And like, she, and a lot of people in the, in the epic are starving. Her thing is that no matter how much food she is able to attain, she'll always be hungry. Like it's not circumstantial. It's like 
permanent. But anyway, yeah. Asmodeus says their story is a mode of inquiry into how one should respond to human suffering, how one should act and live in the world in the constant presence of human pain. Constantine spent 12 years utterly devoted to his wife, caring for her and faithfully visiting her once a year. But when he thinks that she's betrayed him, he's filled with grief, rage, and desperation and acts badly in a moment of rashness, which, I mean, obviously killing somebody isn't, like, the best response, but you can kind of understand. Mm -hmm. Like, he sees his wife once a year, yeah, and then she's suddenly acting, like, cold to him. He doesn't know why. Mm -hmm. I mean, he felt very betrayed, and, I mean, he had been so, like, devoted and good to her, and now now he's acting purely from, like, passion and, like, jealousy. Mm -hmm. But, obviously, it was the wrong reaction, but... (laughs) In a situation where he should have reacted with empathy and understanding, he acted out of selfish jealousy, and now he will have to suffer for many lifetimes. Mm -hmm. So their story deals with the question of how a person is meant to act with love and compassion for others when life is full of so much cruelty and suffering. Mm-hmm. It's a call to compassion for readers of the text, in the same way that Money Make Lay explicitly states to others during the text, notably the Queen, teaching her that she should like convert her love for her son into love for the other beings of the earth, mm-hmm. and one after her son has died. Yeah, suffering is inevitable, but the text seems to be aware that acting cruelly due to grief is incredibly human and natural. Mm-hmm. The Queen takes her grief out on Manamekele because she doesn't know what to do with herself and needs an outlet. Kansana takes his pain out on Prince Uteya Kumara because, once again, he feels powerless. Similarly, Sitrapati feels desperate at the loss of her daughter and granddaughter, so she betrays Money Makele's whereabouts to the prince. The thesis of the text is that, in spite of the natural human urge to act cruelly or rashly when in pain, people should try to channel their love to other living beings and act compassionately. Yeah. Yeah. That's really nice. And I think that one of the strengths of Money Makele is that, even though it's very heavy-handed and at times, like I said, kind of propagandistic, the story is moved forward by stories of human pain and grief and love, which is important as it acknowledges that acting with compassion and patience and forgiveness is difficult, but still possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of like side stories going on throughout the epic, like little tangents where they'll just tell somebody else's story, like in the case of Kaisandike. And it's pretty interesting. Like sometimes it's like, okay, whatever, get back to Mai Mikale. <laughs> but um, some of them, it's like, yeah. I mean, it, it's very about like humans and like how people mm-hmm. react yeah. to like human suffering. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean like it being heavy handed and sort of propaganda. I mean, that's just like a big thing about epics in general. It really is. A lot of them are super heavy handed and kind of propaganda. Yeah. But they're also really meaningful in a lot of ways and that's really cool. I love epics. I feel like they're kind of just like the heart of like the best stories on earth. Mm-hmm. Just like, ugh, yeah. it's so great. And I also read somewhere that like Money Makele is kind of plot wise, not like the most interesting epic, which like fair enough. There's a lot of epics that are about like grand quests and stuff. But mm-hmm. but yeah, it's still it's still nice. I still thought it was interesting. I thought it was yeah. There's a lot of like interesting aspects, like the fact that like Money Makele was destined from her previous lives to end up with Prince Uday Kumara, which she chooses not to. She's like, no, I'm not gonna do that this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was just a lot of interesting stuff going on. It was a fun read. Well, maybe not fun. It was an interesting read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Well, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to subscribe, leave us a review, donate to our Ko-fi, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. With the Ladies Podcast is produced by Elizabeth LaCroix and Zoe Kenninger. 
Today's episode was researched and presented by Elizabeth LaCroix. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at MythoLadies and visit us on our website at MythoLadies.com. Our cover art is by Helena Cayo. Our music was written and performed by Icarus Tyree. Thank you for listening. See you next time.